Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. Well, there's something quite remarkable about the scriptures' portrayal uh, of God, uh, and that is that God relentlessly loves the creation. Uh, though God is eternal and creator and holy and other than all that he has made, uh, you get this picture of God from Genesis 1 and 2 onwards. Uh, God is always coming down to look. He's coming down to act. Uh, he's speaking into uh, he is relentlessly pursuing restoration, uh, judging what is evil, cleansing what is wrong, bringing hope and joy into the brokenness of the world after Genesis 3. Uh, and we have God's arm and we have God's hand and we have God's finger even on a number of occasions as God comes close and works his purposes in the world. Uh, the images of Psalm 147 that we heard earlier today are quite startling. Uh, here is this God who, who propels his commands to the earth, whose word runs swiftly around the world, who spreads snow and hurls hail and stirs breezes and reveals his word. Here is this God. It's not an impersonal creation. It's not uh, impersonal principles or laws. It's a, it's a person speaking who sustains the world. Uh, and uh, in 147, 15, 16, 17, 18, uh, we get this uh, picture again of this active, joyful God, his words sprinting around the world, speaking reality into being. Uh, he stirs up breezes, says the NIV translation, but uh, equally, literally, he stirs up his spirit. He stirs up the wind of his spirit. Uh, the breezes uh, bear testimony to the, to the presence of the Lord, the spirit of God, the same word in the Hebrew. God loves the world and God keeps coming into the world uh, to restore and to guide and to encourage. Uh, in that way, as people who seek Christ and who listen to scripture uh, our day begins responsibly waking up to God's call and command as we thank him for the day, the gift of the day, for the calling of God on our lives, uh, for the gifting of God in our lives. And then each night as our day comes to an end, we close our eyes and sleep responsibly, uh, asking God's protection, thanking God for what has occurred, repenting of our sinfulness. Our lives then are lived in this alive and dynamic world where the holy creator God keeps coming close into the world of which we are a part. There is nothing more wondrous in God's coming into the world than Acts 1 and the first 11 uh, verses as we look at the ascension this evening. So I want to talk about what's wondrous in Acts 1 and draw a couple of things out and then suggest that one of the virtues and characteristics of our lives in Christ is that we are people who are full of wonder. 
and who are invited into wondrous life in Christ. So what is wondrous? First of all, the book of Acts is wondrous. Uh, Luke introduces this book as being written by him to a friend named Theophilus. Uh, the name Theophilus means uh, friend of God or loved by God. And uh, this text is for those who are friends of God. Uh, initially, Theophilus, and now to all who read Acts, uh, those who God loves and who seek friendship with the Lord. So it's a delightful book that Luke writes. He tells us that in his first book, which we know as the Gospel of Luke, uh, he wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And so he suggests that in this book, he's going to write about what Jesus continues to do and teach. In many ways, Acts is book two of Luke's account of Jesus's doing and teaching. So though we often refer to the book as the Acts of the Apostles, uh, probably more correctly, it's the Acts of King Jesus, part two. Part one on the roads and in the towns and cities of Israel. Part two from heaven and the throne via the Holy Spirit's work in the apostles and the church. This is the Acts of King Jesus, part two, or the Acts of King Jesus through the Holy Spirit, through the apostles and the churches of the first century. So here is a wondrous book. Uh, over the next four weeks, we'll be looking at Acts 1, 2, 3, and 4, parts thereof. So read ahead and enjoy the book of Acts. Secondly, the event of Christ's ascension is wondrous. Uh, we talk a lot about Christ's death and resurrection, uh, probably not enough about his ascension. So let's sit with that for a little while this evening. Uh, Jesus is teaching the disciples, they're asking him questions, and while they look on, we're told he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Verse 9. Verse 2, on the day when he was taken up. And Luke ended his first book with the words, while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Uh, the words taken up, sometimes translated carried up, uh, ascension, carried up, lifted up, taken up. Uh, I don't think that's what the disciples expected on this occasion. And when he was taken, uh, notice uh, that it's God's action upon Jesus. Jesus is passive in this. Here is the power of God lifting Jesus, carrying Jesus, taking Jesus up. Uh, this is God's spirit or God the Father's power on the life of the risen rabbi Jesus. Uh, this is the action of God in taking Jesus into a cloud. Now, some of the disciples have seen this cloud before at the transfiguration of Jesus this cloud enveloped him. This time he's taken into the cloud. And all who've read the scriptures know that this cloud uh, is not any kind of cloud. It's the cloud 
of God's presence. It's the glory cloud or the Shekinah cloud, uh, the cloud of God's presence. This cloud uh, frequently descends into the creation uh, throughout the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, at Mount Sinai, when uh, the law is given to Moses and Israel, uh, on the tabernacle and then on the temple that Solomon builds, the cloud comes close. Jesus is taken into the cloud. And it's not so much uh, a, a cloud, uh, a normal cloud as we might think of it in the sky, and it's not so much about going into the sky. It's about going into God's presence. It's God the Son returning to God the Father and being embraced by him. And the disciples can't see what happens after the cloud and Jesus come together. But Daniel has already told us in his prophecy in Daniel 7 that in the cloud, Jesus receives the throne of the universe and is seated at the right hand of the Ancient of Days. To Jesus is given the kingdom. So this is Jesus in the presence of God now receiving eternal rule. The risen, ascended Christ becomes King of kings, Lord of lords. It's not angels who rule. It's not beasts who rule. It's Jesus who rules, sovereign over history. And it's not any old human who rules. It's a human who was dead and buried, who has risen and become powerful over death. That human, that son of man, rules. I want to say that three things occur, at least in the ascension of Jesus, and they're all wonderful. In his ascension and enthronement, Jesus becomes the great gift giver. Jesus delights in giving gifts. And the greatest gift of Jesus is his own presence within and among the lives of his people. Rabbi Jesus trained and equipped disciples as he walked on the earth, but now his presence in the heart of all who call him Lord is across the world, throughout the nations, in the lives of hundreds and thousands and millions of people throughout history. The great gift giver gives himself, gives his powerful presence, his loving presence, his just presence, his forgiving presence, his joyful presence. Jesus is the gift giver. The gift is his spirit. And then the spirit gives more gifts, gifts of administration and prophecy and gifts of tongues and wisdom and gifts of evangelism and leadership and gifts of service and generosity. Jesus in his ascension is going to get the gift and the gifts for his people. He pours them out liberally. The spirit of God in Acts 2 doesn't dribble out of heaven. He is poured out, poured out. And it's amazing what happens in Acts 2. Jesus in his ascension is a wondrous gift giver. Secondly, in his ascension, Jesus is a promise keeper. There have been promises right throughout the Hebrew scriptures that God would bring forgiveness of sins, that God would bring 
powerful life, that God would bring eternity to humanity. And now Jesus keeps the promise. In his ascension, Jesus is faithful. He's a promise keeper. The prophet's expectations are realized. Joel's expectations, Isaiah's expectations. Jesus keeps God's promises. The faithfulness of Jesus is evidenced in his ascension. He's a gift giver. He's a promise keeper. And thirdly, in his ascension, a human being, our Lord and our brother, becomes the king of the world. Heaven and earth have been brought together under the rule of a resurrected human being. This week at Raymond Road, as we've been working, I've been amazed at the skill and talent of people as they've painted and gardened and cleaned and mended and restored things with hands and arms and energy and eyes and imagination. Human bodies are wonderful and it's a risen human, an embodied human, just like us, who rules the world in ascension. Christ Jesus will come again in the same way you saw him go. The apostles are told. We celebrate our humanity because our humanity has been lifted to heaven and the heavens and the earth are now ruled by a resurrected human, Jesus. It's wondrous. The ascension deserves our full attention. Well, next in Acts 1, there is the wonder of the Trinity. The triune God is wondrous. And only Christianity and Christian faith and scripture gives us the wonder of a singular supreme God who is a divine community, Father, Son, and Spirit. Not merely a God who rules, but a God who plans and speaks and loves and gives of God's self, Father to Son, Son to Spirit, Spirit to Father, and has done so forever. We're made in the image of a divine community. No wonder we need each other. We need relationship. We need prayer. We need love. And the Trinity is fully in action in Acts 1. In 1.4, we read of the promise of the Father. In 1.5, of the baptism of the Spirit. In 1.8, Jesus says, you will bear witness to me through all the world, bearing witness to the Son. It's the Father who's fixed times and seasons. It's the Spirit who gives power for witness. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are wondrous. And in Acts 1, all three in the divine dance are on the pages of Scripture. As we read of the ascension, God comes in the cloud, Jesus is taken, the Spirit is then sent. It's wondrous. Well, if the triune God is wondrous, then just think about the lives of these first apostles and disciples. They have been sitting and eating and being taught in the presence of the risen Jesus for 40 days. Since his resurrection, Christ has been telling them about the kingdom of God. And now he says, just wait 10 more days, 50 days from Passover to Pentecost, and the spirit will come. Wait here in Jerusalem. For 40 days, 
they have been in the presence of a resurrected and immortal human. It's like being back in the Garden of Eden again, Adam and Eve. Here is Jesus, the head of a new humanity. Here is Jesus, the conqueror over death. It's, it's better than the Garden of Eden. Here is Jesus who eats and walks and drinks, but who appears and disappears at will. Here is Jesus who is human but has superpowers. An amazing resurrection has occurred, and yet he spends 40 days teaching the apostles and the disciples. No wonder they went out and did signs and wonders in the power of the Spirit in Acts 2 and 3 and following. No wonder they were prepared for martyrdom. No wonder they spoke with courage and boldness. Being in the presence of the resurrected Jesus for 40 days, wondrous. Well, all of these wondrous aspects of Acts 1 would say that the lives of God's people throughout history, the lives of the community of Alive at Five, uh, were invited into this wonder, were invited into wondrous imagining and praying and working for the Lord. Somebody has described wonder as inquisitive awe, inquisitive awe. The point being that when we sort of get how awesome God is, we can't help but want to know more, to ask questions, to seek and yearn and long for more, more of the Spirit, more of the Son, more of the Father, more of the Scriptures, more of God's calling and gifting in our lives. Inquisitive awe is wondrous. Jesus has all authority. The Spirit has power and we're going to talk about the spirit's work uh, next week and in the next two weeks after that in acts two and three and four if in psalm 147 we have this beautiful image of this of the word of god sprinting around the world blessing and renewing and restoring and growing and changing and transforming and judging things how much more is the imagery in acts one compelling as the Father, the Son, and the Spirit uh, are all present and active in ascension. What will inquisitive awe look like in my life and your life? It looks like participation in God's purposes. It looks like 24-7 worship work and work worship. I was reminded as I was preparing from Acts 1 this week of an article I read many decades ago written by a philosopher in the USA named Calvin Seabeld. And he wrote this article about his father who was a seller of fish and he called the article The Flash of a Fish Knife. And here is Seabeld celebrating the wonder of his father's life uh, in selling fish. Seville writes, my father is a seller of fish. We children know the business too, having worked from childhood in the great South Bay fish market. It's a small store and it smells like fish. My father is in full-time service for the Lord, prophet, priest and king 
in the fish business and customers who come into the store know it. When I watch my dad's hands, big beefy hands with broad stubby fingers each twice the thickness of mine, they could never play a piano. When I watch those hands delicately split the back of a mackerel or with a swift true stroke fillet a flounder close to the bone, leaving all the meat together. When I know those hands dressed and peddled fish from the handlebars of a cycle in the grim 1930s. When I know those hands cut and sold fish year after year with never a vacation through fire and sickness, thieves and disasters, weariness, winter cold, hot muggy summers, twinkling at work without complaint, past temptations, struggling day in, day out to fix a just price. In weakness often, but always in faith, consecratedly cutting up fish before the face of the Lord. When I see that, I know God's grace can come down to a man's hand and the flash of a scabby fish knife. Our secular world knows nothing of such wonder. When our words and our actions, our workplaces and our homes are responsive to the present grace of God, when we live responsibly, obediently, wondrously in the presence of God 24-7, whatever we do, our lives become wondrous. When our work is not merely about control or financial gain, rather responsive to the call of God on our lives, we can learn such wonder. Our Lord and brother Jesus rules the heavens and the earth. He taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what makes our lives wondrous as we participate in that prayer in the 21st century in Springwood. The spirit of the resurrected Lord is within and among us. We're gifted, we're called, we're participants. Seabell wrote about his father and he said, my father is in full-time service for the Lord, prophet, priest and king in the fish business. I wonder how you would finish that line. I am in full-time service for the Lord, prophet, priest and king in the bathroom, the workplace, the home, the challenges of family life, the neighbourhood, the workplace. In my times of sickness and health, in my times of service and love, in my times of prayer and work, in painting and gardening, in cleaning and scrubbing, I am in full-time service for the Lord, prophet, priest and king in the, you finish it for yourself, exquisite awe is our response to the wondrous work of Christ and the wondrous ascension of Jesus to the throne of the universe 
in Acts 1, 1 to 11. And may we be filled with the power of the Spirit for witness and worship in full-time service for the Lord in response to the texts of Scripture. Let me pray for us, and then I'll hand back to Andrew and Warren. Lord Jesus, we recognise tonight that you are at the right hand of the throne of God, ruling the world as a human resurrected being, incarnate and divine, but fully human. And your spirit has been sent and gifted in keeping promises to us. May we be characterised by persevering and inquisitive awe as we serve you in whatever you're calling us to do tonight and tomorrow and the next day and for the rest of our lives. And bless each person with wonder. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.